1 Corinthians chapter number 3 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to be looking for the message today. Often, I uh, feel like it is a good idea to try and choose for the church a, an overall theme for a new year, not necessarily as a um, rigid rule by which we have to go by that everything has to have some direct correlation, but more of kind of just a, a guiding thought, if you will, as we, uh, as we approach a new year and we reevaluate, re we refocus. And, and uh, the same was true this year. I had an idea and felt something uh, pretty strongly that the Lord uh, would, was leading us uh, to focus on. But I'll be honest, it took me until this last week to really put that into words. It's something I've been mulling over for at least three months, but it wasn't until this, uh, just this last week that it really solidified in my mind. In 2022, our theme was knowing the Lord better, based on Psalm 46, uh, as you see there on the banners behind me. And we spent a lot of time talking, uh, especially early in the year, about the attributes of God and how that we could get to know Him a little bit better. And really just the idea of being still and knowing that He is God. Just taking, taking some time out of our schedule on a regular basis to pause, put aside the distractions, and just, just get to know God. And as I thought about this coming year and where the Lord is leading our church and, and so on and so forth, I, I really believe that God is, is leading our church into a, a new phase of growth, if you will, um, a new emphasis at least on, on getting out and getting the gospel to the lost and seeking to win souls that people might be saved and added to the church and disciple. Now, most of you know me very well, and you know that I am, I'm not a big fan of these church growth gurus that are out there, because by and large, I, I, I am of the conviction that uh, they are simply using modern sales tactics and often manipulation to try and artificially boost numbers to be able to say we had so many people in a service at any given time. And I don't believe that's a biblical method. I believe that the biblical method is for you and I to simply obey the commands of Scripture. Uh, and as it relates to church growth, that means fulfilling our responsibility of preaching the gospel. But at the end of it, we have to trust the Lord for the results. Part of uh, what is uh, really put this in the front of my thinking is uh, the project that we are going to be beginning very soon with our John's and Romans campaign. I have not updated you in a while on that, but uh, as of last week, over $2,000 has been donated towards that. We only have a little bit more to raise toward our goal of $3,500 uh, to be able to print uh, 10,000 Johns and Romans, 5,000 for us to distribute here in our community and 5,000 to give to a missionary. And I'll be saying much more about that in uh, next week and in the weeks ahead. Uh, and then after we, we get those printed, we're going to be distributing those. Uh, one of the things you may have noticed in our church calendar we gave out at the beginning of December is that uh, beginning in March, we're going to be adding in uh, another regular visitation time. On Thursday evenings uh, during the uh, spring and summer months, we're going to be uh, every other Thursday going out, uh, and that time is especially going to be for distributing those Johns and Romans and other gospel literature door-to-door -door in our community. And so 
kind of putting all of these things together and just trying to encapsulate in a simple simple uh, uh, sentence in one particular verse what um, I feel like the Lord is leading our church into in this year. Uh, I've settled upon the simple theme of sowing and growing. I don't know if you can see that well with the lights, but uh, if you look on the screen behind me, you'll see uh, images of the, the new banners that we'll be having very soon to hang up on the wall. And it's based on 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 7. Look with me here. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 7. I think this verse especially encapsulates the idea that I believe we as a church should focus on in 2023. It's this. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now notice, Paul is not saying we don't have to do anything. He's not saying that. He's not saying we can just sit back, do whatever we please, have fun, and God will increase us. No, he says we are planting and we are watering. But our planting and our watering is really not what does the increasing. It's not he that plants and it's not he that waters. It is God who giveth the increase. And so we have two parts to this. We have our responsibility, which is summarized in this idea of sowing, sowing a seed, planting a seed. And then we have the second part, which is God's responsibility. And that is the idea of the growing. We do the sowing. God does the growing. Now, the law of sowing and reaping is something that was established by God at creation. Again, if you're following the Bible reading schedule and you've already read for today, you you would have read in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, the creation story. And when God created the world and everything that was in it, he established a law for all of living creatures. And that is that they would be fruitful and multiply whether we're talking about plant life, animal life, or human life, that is a universal law of creation that living things multiply after their kind and all living creatures instinctively seek to grow and to multiply. Well, the laws of sowing and reaping that apply to nature also apply spiritually. A healthy plant or healthy animal will be growing and multiplying and so too will be a healthy Christian and a healthy church. In fact, actively seeking to increase the number of Jesus' disciples is a mandate of the church. But while we seek for that, we also recognize that it is the Lord who builds the church, who adds to the church, It is the Lord who gives the increase. This is a balance that we always have to be careful to maintain because it's very easy for us to tip to one side or the other. You have some that tip to the side uh, of our activity being all important. And so they become driven to to uh, pursue numbers and pursue professions of faith and to be able to say, we had X amount of people pray a prayer on visitation. 
but there's little to no follow-up or discipleship. That's a problem. Then you have people that tip to the other side and that say, well, it's up to God to do the saving. We don't have to go out and we don't have to share the gospel. We don't need to worry about that that much. We'll just live a good life and, uh, and somehow God will, God will save people. And you have these two extremes and somewhere in the middle you have the biblical balance. And that's what we want to strive for. We want to strive for that balance of we are being obedient believers and we're sowing the seed of the gospel, but we are also trusting God to do the saving and to do the growing. So our responsibility is to sow the seed of the gospel. I'm going to give you a very complicated outline. And I'm going to go ahead and give it to you right now so that you can jot it down and you can come back and review it, all right? Point number one, we do the sowing. Point number two, God does the growing. That's it. Okay? That's our outline. So let's, let's think about it now, the two points. I know, I know sermons are supposed to have three points in a poem, but you only get two points today and probably no poetry involved. Number one, we do the sowing. We do the sowing. That is our responsibility as followers of Jesus. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Matthew 16, 15, he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, I want to be clear here that the biblical concept of soul winning and fulfilling the Great Commission is not showing up once a week or once a month or once every other week to an organized visitation program, going out for a couple hours, passing out tracts and talking to people and being done with it. That's actually not the biblical concept. The biblical concept of soul winning is a lifestyle of winning souls not lifestyle evangelism, don't misunderstand me, but a lifestyle of winning souls. When Jesus said, go ye therefore, really what he was saying is, as you are going, teach all nations. As you are going about your life, as you are going about your business, preach the gospel. That's the biblical idea. When he said in Acts 1 and verse number 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. He did not say it, you need to go and be witnesses. He said, you will be a witness. The question is, what kind of witness are we? Are we being a good witness or are we being a poor witness? But if you are a Christian, you are a witness. As you are going, you are to be seeking to sow the seed of the gospel. Turn over to the book of Luke chapter 8, if you will. Jesus told the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. You're probably familiar with this, and we're not going to take time to break it all down today. That, that's, a, that's a whole other message or even a whole other series in and of itself. But as we think about our responsibility as, as sowers, this, this parable really 
helps us understand what we need to be doing. Luke chapter 8 and verse number 4, And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on the good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. That which fell among thorns are they which when they've heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Jesus tells this parable here to help us understand how the, how the kingdom of God works. And he starts by painting a very familiar picture when he says a sower went forth to sow. Sower here is a planter, someone who puts seed into the ground. A sower went forth to sow. Why did a sower do that? Why did the planter go out and plant? You can answer. Does anybody know? Okay, let me ask it this way. Let's say the planter went out and chopped down trees. Would he still be a planter? He'd be a lumberjack. Uh, the planter went out and repaired a vehicle. Would he still be a planter? No, he'd be a Ford technician. Why did the sower go forth to sow? Because that's what sowers do. That's what planters do. That's their job. That's what they, that, that's their life. Why does a farmer farm? Because he's a farmer. I know this sounds basic, but do we not often need to get back to the basics? And when it, when it comes to this idea of sowing, it's, it's, it is important that we remember the reason that we sow the seed of the gospel is because that's what God has called us to be. He has called us to be sowers, to be planters of the seed. Why does the planter, the sower, have to sow the seed? Why can't the farmer just depend on the crops to naturally repropagate? Because if the field is left to itself, it's going to go to weeds. The good crop does not naturally propagate itself. It needs to be tended. It needs to be planted, tilled. It needs to be planted. It needs to be irrigated. It needs to be fertilized. It needs to be harvested. It requires work. And in the same way, the gospel does not naturally disseminate around the world. 
Now, God could have chosen to do it that way if he wanted to. He could have literally dropped the Bible out of the sky to every person on planet Earth and supernaturally given them the ability to read it. But instead, he has chosen to use you and me as the instruments to deliver the gospel. That is God's plan. And if we're not sowing the seed, then how is the seed going to be sown? What is this seed that he sows? Well, Jesus identifies it in verse 11. It's the word of God. I know the prosperity gospel proponents would say, no, this is your gift of $100 to our ministry. (laughs) Sow that gift and God will reward you a hundredfold. Isn't it curious that the people that seem to be getting the hundredfold rewards from prosperity gospel are not the people giving, but the people receiving? No, the seed is the word of God. We go out and we share the gospel and we do so from scripture. That is the seed that is planted. And that's the imagery that Paul is using in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 6, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. In this imagery here, the planting of the seed would be the first person to share the gospel. When you share the gospel with someone who's never heard before, you have planted a seed in their heart. The next person who comes along and shares again and reinforces it, they are the waterers. Now, you might think to yourself, I guess then all we have to do is water because everybody around here has heard the gospel. Folks, that's not true. That is not one of the biggest mistakes that we make as Baptists in the South is assuming that because there's a church practically on every corner that everybody must have heard the gospel. There are people all around us. I don't know the percentage. I could guess but I would probably be wrong. But I do know this, that there are people all around us who have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. They need you to sow the seed. That seed that is planted in the heart of man, that is watered, is the seed that one day God will use to bring forth that fruit unto salvation. The sower must sow the seed. Where does the sower sow the seed? Did he sow the seed in his barn? In his living room? In his front yard? In the field. That's where the sower sows the seed, out there. Listen, the church exists to edify the believers and to evangelize the lost. And the two are not mutually exclusive. It's not like we have to do one or the other. No, we are supposed to be doing both. We need to remember that we are supposed to have a dual focus. We're supposed to be building up one another, but we're also supposed to be reaching out to the lost. Getting the gospel out to the field. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. That's where the seed is sown. Well, how do we sow the seed? Well, nowadays we've got tractors and implements and all of these amazing technologies that that farmers use to sow the seed. In the Bible times, most of it, not all of it, was done by hand. Just throwing it out there. 
and kind of the thrust of this parable is, is this sower goes out and he casts the seed out. And as he's sowing the seed, it's landing all different kinds of places. But you know what? He doesn't really care as much about that. What he's concerned about is getting the seed out there. Of course, getting the seed into optimal soil is the best goal. But if we're not sowing any seed and we're not sowing much seed, we're not going to see any harvest or much harvest. We need to sow lots of seed. And we recognize that some of that seed is going to fall by the wayside. It's going to be on the hard-packed earth where people trample on it and it will never spring up. Some of the seed is going to fall on the rocky soil. There's a little bit of earth there and it, can, it starts to take root, but it can't take hold. Some of the seed is going to fall among the thorny ground. and People are going to latch onto it and there will be a period of time where there's growth after they have had faith in Christ. And I do believe that the weedy soil is a saved person, but it's a saved person who is choked out by the cares of this world and they never become a fruitful Christian. They never multiply. But then there is that healthy soil that we long to see, that not only does someone believe and do they grow, but they then reproduce. They become a disciple who makes disciples. But here is the point for us today. As sowers, our job is just to get the seed out. To sow the seed. To be obedient to God's command to go and preach the gospel, to scatter the seed of the gospel. That's our job. Now as we sow the seed, Let's not forget the laws of sowing and reaping of Scripture. You always reap what you sow, you always reap after you sow, and you always reap more than you sow. If we want to see people saved, then we must sow the seed of the gospel. It's that simple. If your goal was to see more people out of debt financially, then you could sow the seed of financial management classes. If your job was to see more people with musical ability, then you could sow the seed of a music school. But if our job is to see more people saved, we must sow the seed of the gospel. Now, there may be different avenues and methods and tools that we can use to get the gospel to people. We may involve other things in the process, but it all boils down to that one simple goal, sowing the seed of the gospel. When we sow the seed of the gospel, we will reap what we sow. But remember, it's going to be after we sow. You know, part of the frustration sometimes of gardening or farming is the time aspect of it. You know, if you could go out tomorrow and plant a row of seeds and come out the next day and harvest a crop of vegetables, everybody would be a farmer. That's easy to do. But when you have to sow a seed and for two, three, four months, you have to tend it, you have to water it, you have to weed it, you have to work on it, and you just have to simply wait and be patient, 
that's when it becomes a little less fun. You, you reap after you sow. It takes time. Anybody who is selling a program guaranteed to grow your church 20% in 2023 is a scam. It is. Because if you are growing a church properly, you cannot put a number on it. You cannot predict what God is going to do. Now, you can certainly have goals, and by all means, do that. In my own heart, I have goals for our church. I have numbers. But you know what? I'm not going to stand before you and say, I believe that in 2023, by the, uh, this time next year, our church is going to be running X amount of people on average on a Sunday morning. I'm not going to do that. I might say that I'm praying for that, but I'm not going to stand up here and tell you this is how it's going to happen. If we do A, B, and C, then this. I can't do that. All we can do is sow the seed and wait. But here's the wonderful thing. You always reap more than you sow. The harvest is disproportionate to the planting in a good way. You plant one kernel of corn. How many kernels of corn do you get from that? Hundreds, if not thousands. Because from one kernel of corn, one seed, you will get a stalk with two, three, maybe four ears. And on each of those ears, there will be hundreds of kernels. You reap more than you sow. Now, Galatians 6 warns us that this is true both positively and negatively. If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. What is our job to be sowing? Say it with me. What is our job to be sowing? What is God's job to do the growing? So if you're keeping our very complicated outline here, we're on point number two now. God does the growing. Back in our text, what Paul said was, neither is he that planteth, anything, nor he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. God gives the increase. He does the growing. Again, this is sometimes where we, we struggle to find the balance, but it's simply a matter of obedience first and then faith in God for the results because he is the one who does the growing. When it comes to the church, when it comes to souls being saved, we must recognize that God is the Lord of the harvest. Rutledge, Georgia, and the surrounding areas, strictly speaking, is not our harvest field. It's the Lord's. He created the entire world and everyone in it. And in Matthew 9, verse 38, Jesus said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. It's not unlike in Bible times where there would be a, a man who owned a, a lot of land that he farmed, but he didn't necessarily get out there and plow every acre and plant every seed. He had people who worked for him. 
And so he would send them out into his fields to work in certain times and plant certain things. And those workers were working in the field, and it, but it wasn't their harvest field. It was the master's. And so it is that God has called us to work in the field that is Rutledge, Georgia, and the areas around it. And it but it's not our harvest field. It's his. He's the Lord of the harvest. That means he's the one who commissions the laborers into the harvest. Part of what we are to be praying for is that God would send forth more laborers. That only stands to reason. If you want a bigger harvest, then you need more people sowing more seed. We're to, we're to pray that the Lord would do that. But also we need to recognize that He has commissioned us. It's not, Lord, please send that person over there. It's, Lord, send me where you want me to go. Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, As the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. How did the Father send Jesus? Well, we looked in Philippians chapter 2 through the month of December how Christ came from heaven to this earth. He was made in the form of a servant, took upon him the likeness of man, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why did Jesus come to earth? He summarized it this way in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why Jesus came. That's why the Father sent him. And Jesus says, As the Father sent me, that is to seek and to save that which is lost, so send I you. He sends us out now to labor in his fields to seek a spiritual harvest. And this harvest is simply a harvest of souls saved rescued from hell through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go and as we work in his fields, he has promised, I will give the increase. Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, I will build my church. You know, God never put the burden on us to build his church. I understand when people talk about building the kingdom of God. I understand what they mean. But I, I fear that sometimes using that language is a little confusing. Because strictly speaking, we don't do the building. God does. Strictly speaking, Jesus said, I will build my church. And to me, that relieves us from the burden so that we can obey without hindrance. Because if we're obeying from a from a, a attitude or a motivation of, I've got to get out there, I've got to build the church, I've got to build the kingdom, I've got to get so many people in the church, and I've got to have this many professions of faith, or I'm not successful, or I'm somehow falling short of God, uh, what God's expectation, if that's our attitude, we're going to burn out. We're going to burn out. Because we're taking on us a burden that God never intended for us to carry. He said, I will build my church. How does God do this? Acts 2.47 says that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That's how the Lord builds his church. By the saving of souls. The New Testament pattern is that, a, that believers go out and they preach the gospel. 
And when someone is saved, when they make a profession of faith in Christ, they are baptized and added to the church where they are taught to obey all the things that Jesus has commanded. They are taught to be discipled. Saved, baptized, added to the church that they might be discipled. That is the biblical pattern of church growth. And when you understand that, the very first step, the Lord added to the church such as should be saved. It wasn't Peter and John and the apostles who preached that day, or wasn't any of the other 70 that were in that upper room that added to the church. It was the Lord who added to the church. He does the growing. In the New Testament, two different illustrations are used to describe the growing of the body of Christ. There is the illustration, first of all, of a building. You look around this room, uh, especially the wall behind me and, and behind you there, uh, you'll see that this building is constructed of steel and center blocks. That's the primary construction here. Um, uh, it, it may seem a little bit old school, but then that's because it is. It was an old school. Uh, but it also means that this building is pretty solid. I've never done this. But if I were to, if you were to sit and count how many blocks were just on the back wall or the front wall here, there would be hundreds, if not thousands. In fact, Brother Riffle, if you could do that for me this week, I'd appreciate that. How were those bricks laid? Did they come in with a truck, lift it up in the air, turn it over and dump them out and they all just went, and a wall was there? That's not how they were laid. Every one of these center blocks was laid by hand, one by one. And you know, that's how the Lord builds His church. You know, sometimes many people are saved at a particular service or at a particular event. And we rejoice when those kinds of things happen. But even then, you understand that they all represent and are individual souls, and that the growing of the church, the adding to the church, happens one by one. One by one. That's how the church is built. Not ten by ten, a hundred by a hundred, one by one. And then the Bible also uses the illustration of the human body to help us understand how the church grows. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. The human body is an amazing testament to the wisdom and the awesomeness of God. The intricacy, the design of the human body is conclusive evidence that there is a creator. Let me tell you, for someone to reject creation and believe evolution requires a tremendous amount of the wrong kind of faith. To think that all that we see in this universe happened by accident, to think when we look at our human bodies and all of its, all of its amazing detail, that that was just somehow a cosmic boo-boo, <laughs> In the beginning, there was nothing. Nothing exploded. Fast forward 13.8 billion years, and now we have humans carrying iPhones. That does not make any sense. And when you think about the human body, there's so much about it 
that points to a creator, a designer. And so the fact that he would use this to help us understand how the church is supposed to operate reminds us that the church is supposed to be how he designed it to be. It's supposed to work like he designed it to work. We don't have a right to say, well, I think church should be this or that or the other, and so we're going to do it this way. No, we need to go to the Word of God, and we need to find out how does God say it's supposed to operate? How does God say the church is supposed to be? In Ephesians chapter 4, we have a portion of Scripture that tells us what the purpose of the church is for the believer. Look at verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? When you go back to chapter 1, you find that it is the church. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Christ is the head, the church is the body. Look at verse 16. From whom, that is from Christ, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. God has designed the church that it would grow as the human body grows. Human body grows through nourishment and exercise. A child grows into a healthy adult simply by having a proper diet and proper exercise. All things being equal, that's what's going to happen naturally. If it doesn't happen, then you know that there's something wrong. There's some sickness, there's some disease, there's, there's some deformation, there's something that's, that's gone wrong here because naturally the human body matures and grows as it receives proper nourishment and proper exercise. And the church is the same. If a church is healthy, receiving proper nourishment and getting the proper exercise, then it will be growing. Why does it grow? Is it because we grow it? No. It's because God grows it. You know, Jesus said, how many of you could take thought and add one cubit to your stature? Some of you in here, we are, let's just say, vertically challenged. And maybe you wish you could be a little taller, especially when you're at the grocery store trying to get that can off the top shelf. Has anybody ever been able to make themselves taller by thinking about it? Just saying, I want to be taller. I wish I was taller. No. I know Andy Griffith popularly did a skit about Barney getting a couple inches taller. You say, well, ha-ha, it worked for Barney. No, that's not how it works in real life. You are as tall as God wants you to be. That's what it boils down to. So if you're short, don't worry about it. Just think of yourself as awesomeness concentrate, okay? God does the growing. 
what it boils down to is this. There are things that we can control with our choices. And there are things that we cannot. We can control how we sow. Whether we make our walk with God a priority, whether we spend time in prayer, whether we read our Bible, whether we're faithful to attend church, whether we take opportunities to share the gospel, those are decisions that we make. We do the sowing. But then there are things that are out of our control. And growth is something that God controls and God alone. If we are sowing, we can be sure that growing will happen because of the law of sowing and reaping. But how much, how soon, how quickly, that's up to the Lord. So in 2023, let us simply resolve to be sowing and trust God to do the growing. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have given us a new year, an opportunity to evaluate, to change, to improve, to grow more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I, I hope that it will be our focus this year to sow those things that we know we ought to be sowing, especially when it comes to getting the gospel out to the lost that you have put around us. Lord, that we would be more obedient than ever. That we would be more active than ever. But Lord, we want to be very careful that in our action, we do not become self-righteous and independent in our attitude. Lord, we need to maintain a deep level of trust in you. That while we are sowing, it is up to you to do the growing. So Lord, help us to plant, help us as we seek to water. And Lord, please give the increase. An increase, Lord, that would glorify your name. As our Savior said, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Lord, we want to see a great increase. And so we look to you in faith and ask that you would bless this year, that it may be a year of sowing and growing. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And let's turn to number 454 in our hymnals, if you would. Number 454. The song is a passion for souls. And as we think about sowing the seed of the gospel this morning, have you been 
a faithful sower? Have you been planting the seed? Friend, when was the last time you simply handed someone a gospel tract? When was the last time that you stood face to face with a friend or a family member or neighbor or coworker and shared a word about the gospel with them? If, if it's been a while, then I want to invite you this morning to go to God in prayer, the Lord of the harvest. Say, Lord, I need to do a better job sowing. Help me this year to be a better sower.